Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. These are the images that many Americans associate with evangelicals. Strident, judgmental, angry. It's a perception many evangelicals now say they want to change. We've been known more for what we're against rather than what we're for. Evangelical leader Kevin Palau was so eager to fix this that he reached out to a highly unlikely partner. Hello, Portland! The openly gay mayor of Portland, Oregon, one of the most liberal, secular cities in America. This is a pretty unusual partnership here. We know that. (laughs) Together, they're now doing something unprecedented. 500 local churches are providing 26,000 volunteers, a small army, helping the city do everything from renovating parks to counseling victims of sex trafficking to feeding the homeless. Members of one church have adopted this struggling school, doing yard work, clothing drives, even helping rebuild the crumbling bleachers. They're not in the hallways passing out tracts, they're not proselytizing, but they are simply asking, what do you need and how can we help? You know, how about these? These believers say they are the new face of American evangelicalism. The old model was preaching to the choir, so to speak. But that does not mean there are not still major philosophical differences. These aren't petty disagreements. I don't know what Kevin's feelings are on homosexuality, but there are a lot of evangelicals who feel that an essential part of who you are Mm -hmm. is a sin. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, uh, you know, I, that is not lost on me. And um, I'm sure that that is Kevin's view. But we also have massive agreement around uh, needing to help people who are not currently being served. And they say this willingness to lock arms, despite deep philosophical disagreements, is a model that could work in other places too. Like, for example, Washington, D.C., Dan Harris, ABC News, Portland, Oregon. Can we hear for what God's doing in Portland? That's kind of a cool thing, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, man. Think about that. Evangelical Christians coming together with city government led by an openly gay mayor of one of America's most liberal and secular cities and kind of putting aside their differences to serve the poor in Jesus' name. That's amazing. We could use more of that in Washington. And I want to challenge you actually here in New Jersey. If you're new, I want to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Tim. Welcome to Liquid Church. We're glad you're here for the kickoff of our series we're calling Jesus Loves Jersey. That's not just a slogan. It's really an anthem that we're praying that God is really going to catalyze our church to lock arms with dozens of other churches across our state to love and serve our neighbors in Jesus' name. The guy you saw in the interview, his name is Kevin Palau. We've become close friends over this past year. He is the son of Luis Palau, who is a Christian evangelist. He's kind of the Billy Graham of Latin America. And they have an evangelism ministry based out of Portland, uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they realize that there's a shift in our culture that's increasingly resistant and hostile, very skeptical of evangelicals and the good news without seeing it lived out in a practical way. So Kevin set out to change that. He arranged a meeting with, the, with Sam Adams. He's the openly gay mayor of, of Portland. And uh, by his own admission, he was very wary at first. And you understand why. Because the popular perceptions of evangelicals is not popular <laughs> or accurate. Most often, conservative Christians are known for what they're against, gay marriage, abortion, the list goes on, rather than what we're for. 
And Kevin said, could we actually get beyond the, our differences and find some common ground in agreement where we could help serve people in our city who are really struggling, feeding the homeless, clothing kids, renovating shelters, counseling victims of sex trafficking. And it was a leap of faith for both men, really, when it took off last year. But give them credit, the preacher and the politician, they put their differences aside, they trusted each other, and God has done something incredible. He is transforming the inner city of Portland. Over 500 local churches now have mobilized over 26,000 volunteers helping the city of Portland do everything from renovating parks, filling food pantries, tutoring kids after school, feeding the hungry, coming alongside failing urban schools. Let me show you a picture of Roosevelt High School. This is an inner city school, notorious in Portland, failing badly. Over the last decade, it went from 4,000 students down to 400. Basically, anybody who could afford to get out of the school has gotten out. Graduation rates are abysmal, some around 40%. A football team, they play in a dirt field. They don't even have uniforms. Enter local churches who descended on Roosevelt High School not to proselytize, but to simply love and serve the students and the teachers in a practical way. Christians started cleaning classrooms, painting hallways, repairing the bleachers they weeded, you know, and and planted neglected grounds. In a New York Times article last month, this is the New York Times, the principal was quoted as saying, I was perplexed. What was their agenda? (laughs) Were they trying to proselytize, convert us? Were they some kind of far-out group that takes advantage of people? Or were they hardcore believers trying to show the love of Jesus and nothing else? Well, that day was a huge success, but it was a beginning of something incredible. Because it wasn't like this one-day charity event to help soothe a guilty conscience. It sparked this movement. The mayor, the principal, and the staff were so impressed, they invited the Christians to come back. And so they did. One church, South Lake Church in particular, it's a suburban church in a wealthy suburb, they began sending tutors to help the kids after school. They collected a special offering one Sunday and bought uniforms for the football team. And word started spreading around the city. And that's when Nike caught wind of it, because Nike is at headquarters up there. And they said, wait a minute, you guys are are helping the students, you're increasing enrollment, you're you're, you're buying uniforms for the kids. Well, what, what about a new field for them? And Nike was so inspired by the selfless service of the churches, they said, we're going to donate $4 million and put in a turf football field. It's unbelievable, okay? So Christians inspiring corporations. And today, South Lake Church actually has an office in Roosevelt High School, a permanent office where they help students who lack clothing, food, and school supplies. They run a food pantry. They have a mentoring program. And the mayor said he now believes that every public school in Portland should have a local church as a partner. Is that amazing or what? That's amazing. So, so much for separation of church and state, right? <laughs> They're like, we're just getting it done. And hopefully by God's grace, so will we this fall. I had dinner with Kevin this summer and he asked a question. He said, Tim, what if God did something similar here in New Jersey, in New York, in the entire metro area? And I had to admit that challenge was very inspiring because in a lot of ways, our state, New Jersey, is similar to Portland. We are a blue state, a liberal state, known for high taxes and very liberal social views. Like Portland, there are more dogs in our state than evangelical Christians. That's a fact. We have 8.8 million people packed into 21 counties in New Jersey. But did you know this? Less than 2% of the population considers themselves evangelical meaning they believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God and the good news of Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. In many ways, you know this, we live in a post-Christian culture that is hardened to traditional truth claims. Many New Jersey natives grew up with a, maybe a Catholic background, or, but they saw the polarized culture wars and walked away from the faith at some point. They still believe in God, the church not so much. 
And now we have this rise of a new generation of millennials who would say, none of the above. I have no religious affiliation at all. That's New Jersey. That's your home. That's our state. Do you know where the American Atheist Society has its headquarters in North America? Cranford, New Jersey. That's located next door to our Mountainside campus, by the way. Get ready for a love bomb, atheists. No, I'm just, just, just kidding. What I did over the summer was I got in touch, actually, with some of my pastor friends around the state. New Jersey has some fantastic evangelical churches, churches like Christ Church, led by Dr. David Ireland, Rockaway and Montclair, multi-ethnic, huge heart. Forget, give them a hand. Other churches who are getting it done in this state. Metro Church and Fort Lee Hawthorne Gospel. I went down to Shore Fellowship, preached out there. They're outside Atlantic City, led by Pastor Tim Chambers. They were instrumental in recovery from Sandy. I spoke with all sorts of pastors this summer, Latino pastors in the inner city, you know, Asian pastors, black pastors, white megachurches, inner city, Pentecostal. And I asked a simple question. I said, hey, would you be interested in locking arms this fall and coming together as one church with a capital C for a week of service to love and serve our state in Jesus' name? And the response was very enthusiastic, and that's what the series Jesus Loves Jersey is all about. It is a grassroots movement of local churches coming together to love and serve our neighbors in need in Christ's name. We now have over a dozen churches on board, and we have some incredible projects I want to share with you today. But first, what I want to do is kind of ground us in Scripture so that you can see what Jesus taught about the centrality of God's heart for the poor. So would you open your Bible, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, would you? Matthew chapter 5. This is the first book in the New Testament, easy to find. It records the eyewitness testimony of Jesus' life and teaching. This week I did a brief survey of Matthew and discovered that Jesus doesn't just talk about the poor once or mention them twice. Rather, a careful reading of the Gospels, you'll be shocked. You will see that caring for the poor, our neighbors in need, isn't just like an add-on that some socially-minded churches do. Rather, it's a central expectation that any growing disciple or follower of Jesus would be involved in. So I want to highlight three things that Jesus taught. I put these in your notes this morning, and we're going to begin with his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Some of people know it as the Beatitudes, which just means the blessings. This is probably the most well-known teaching of Jesus about what it means to live a life that's blessed, of enjoying God's favor, of his grace. So if you look at Matthew 5, here's what it says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples, his followers came to him and he began to teach them. He said, let's read this together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And these were revolutionary words because Jesus wasn't preaching in 21st century America. This was first century Palestine. And that means his audience was predominantly poor. (laughs) This was an agrarian culture. People eked out subsistence living. No electricity, no running water. The only formal education was going to the local temple. So poverty was widespread. And so everyone's packing in to hear Jesus' gospel, his good news of hope. And Jesus stands on top of this mountain and he says, okay, here's who ble- who's blessed in God's eyes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the number one priority on Jesus's kingdom agenda is who? The poor. And in Jesus's day, that typically meant four groups of people, widows, orphans, immigrants, and disabled folks. Everybody knew those four groups were the closest to God's heart. 
As Zechariah 7, 9 records, this is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress, watch, the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. In other words, in Jesus' day, they were considered the quartet of the vulnerable because they had no social power. They, they lived at subsistence level, and they were susceptible to starvation if there was famine or invasion or any social unrest. Now, in our day, we might expand this group to include single parents, kids with special needs, the homeless, the handicapped, the elderly. And the Bible makes clear that the justice, the justness of a society or a church is measured by how it treats these groups. In the Old Testament, God introduces himself as the defender of the weak, as a father to the fatherless. In other words, the heart of God from the beginning of time has been to have special care and concern for those who are most vulnerable. The way you or I would give special treatment to a son or daughter who was disabled, you'd give them special care, tenderness, and attention. That's the father heart of God for the poor. And that's what Jesus is referencing here in Matthew 5 as he opens the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling his disciples, his followers, that's you, explicitly, that the poor are number one priority on God's agenda. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's the kingdom agenda of Jesus Christ. He's saying, these are the people that God blesses, the poor, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty. God has a heart for have-nots. Do you? Do we as a church? I mean, does the plight of our neighbors in need, the, the poor in our state, even register on our top ten? Because on Jesus' agenda, the poor are priority number one. Here in New Jersey, the growing needs of our state, you know this, they're skyrocketing, right? With the economic downturn, high unemployment, there are more and more families unable to meet the basic needs of daily life, right? Paying their rent, utility bills, medical fees, heaven forbid if a kid gets sick. Watch this. Here in New Jersey, the poverty level for a family of three is $37,000. That's $14,000 above the national average, okay? Okay. And that's ironic because New Jersey is actually the third richest state in our entire nation with the highest median income per household. But we also have the highest taxes and cost of living. Amen? (laughs) Two years ago, state legal services estimated about 25% of our state is living at or below the poverty line. One in four. It's a quarter of our state. And that, that seemed high to me. But that's because of where I live. See, I live in a nice little town called Madison. My wife and I moved there 15 years ago. It's a suburb outside New York, and it's about, you know, you jump on the train. That's why we moved there, because she would take the train into New York City where she works. And many of you live in the suburbs. You commute to your job or in the city, whatever. But if you've ever gone on New Jersey Transit, take a moment to look out the window. We're on the Dover line, okay? And once you pass Summit and South Orange towards New York, it falls apart pretty quick. You see urban blight, You see abandoned tenement buildings, graffitied warehouses, neglected parks, aging apartments, towels for window shades. There's post-industrial decay pockmarking our entire state. Now, most of the time, I don't pay attention because I'm reading my newspaper, I'm checking my phone, I get that. But if I take a moment to put my head up and look out the window, that's what I see. See, for folks who live in the suburbs, you, you, you may, again, let's just be honest, we may go to Newark to see a, you know, a concert or a basketball game or something like that. But if you drive into our urban cities, Patterson, Elizabeth, the Brunswick, they're, they're much closer than you think. The homeless, the poor, those living on the fringe of our cities. And even though you may not think about them much, God thinks about them all the time. 
According to Jesus, the poor are priority number one on his kingdom agenda. In the Sermon on the Mount, the second thing that Matthew notes is that the mark of ministry is actually on the margins for Jesus. Put your finger in Matthew 5 and flip over to Matthew 11, and you're going to see an interesting exchange. Because as Jesus started going to the margins and helping the poor, had compassion for their needs, healing the sick, word got out, it began spreading. Hey, God really does care about us. We're not forgotten. And John the Baptist was in prison at the time under King Herod. And Matthew 11 says, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Watch this. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And say it together. The good news is proclaimed to who? The poor. In other words, John the Baptist was in prison because he hadn't lost faith, but he was starting to doubt. He believed that God was going to send this long-awaited Messiah, this Savior, to redeem his people. And reports began coming in that this guy named Jesus was proclaiming the gospel, this good news of God's grace. He had a question. Are you the man? Are you the chosen one? Are you Neo? Instead of simply replying, yeah, that's me, Jesus said, well, go back and tell him what you see. The blind, the lame, the lepers, they're all healed. And good news is preached to poor people. In other words, you tell me. If you know what God's heart is like and what the Messiah was prophesied to do, what do you see me doing? My ministry is on the margins. It is to the outcasts who live on the fringe of society, the blind, the lame, those with communicable diseases, the disabled. And if you see me doing this stuff, then you have your answer. Salvation has come to this house. So you've got to grasp the significance of Jesus' approach to ministry. Jesus actually didn't spend a lot of time at the temple or going to city hall. He preferred going to the streets, the alleys, the slums, the parks, and touching those who no one else would touch. The poor, the homeless, the handicapped. The mark of Jesus' ministry is on the margins. It's not with the mainstream or the upwardly mobile, the wealthy or the well-off, or those with political connections, but the invisible ones, the people nobody sees or cares about. Jesus said, that's the mark of the Messiah on my followers. They will spend time on the margins. So on Wednesday night, I took a field trip to downtown Newark, spent the night on the streets, with my friend Juan, who runs the relief bus. Juan's an incredible guy. You know the relief bus, tremendous organization who ministers to the homeless. A lot of our life groups go out on this, the addicted, the mentally ill, the forgotten. And the relief bus goes into these cities in New York and New Jersey, providing hot meals, clean clothes, medical care, rehab um, um, resources to the homeless. And on, on, on Wednesday night, we didn't take the bus in. We took the train. And Juan and I got off in Newark Penn Station. Do you remember Wednesday was about 95 degrees in the shade? Yeah, remember this? And we were sweating, but Juan was gracious enough to take me kind of on a tour around the city. We weren't serving people, so I just want to introduce you to my homeless friends. And so we met people like Vic. Vic was a um, Navy veteran who was sitting in a wheelchair right outside of the train station. He was in his 60s, and he was kind of sleeping, kind of passed out when, when we engaged him. But he was very happy to see us. And it's interesting because I saw he had his veterans card. 30% of the homeless, by the way, are veterans or mentally ill. So they go and serve and sacrifice, and then they come back and are forgotten. And after chatting with Vic, we could see he wasn't fully lucid, and yet there in his wheelchair, he's there at, you know, 11 p.m. at night just sitting in the shadows. I'm like, I don't even know where he was, he was planning to stay. So we crossed the street and went into the park and, and met a young African immigrant 
a man named Nabu. He had just immigrated here from Africa. He was slumped over kind of in the shadows, and he was kind of scrounging around for food. And when we told him, well, we can help connect you with food, he was very excited to find out where. And so we started giving him directions. We had a little piece of paper. He could say this is where you could come and, and get food tomorrow. But he, he couldn't follow along because his eyes kept rolling back in his head, and that's when he realized he was high. He was completely strung out. And he had a cast on his foot. And we said, what's wrong with your foot? He said, oh, my foot's been broken for, for weeks, and I can't, you know, he's kind of... And so Juan said, well, can we pray for you? We're here to represent Jesus. We'd love to pray for you that, heal, that God can bring healing to your foot. And she said, oh, yeah, man, and he's rolling back. And I'll be honest because Juan's like, all right, let's put our hands on Naboo. Can I just be honest with you at this moment? This is embarrassing, okay? You can, go ahead and judge me, but I'm just going to be totally honest with you. It is 11, quarter of, quarter of 12 about on a Wednesday night in downtown Newark. We are in a darkened park with no light, talking to a drug-addicted man who is sweating profusely, and so am I. (laughs) And the idea of reaching out my hands and putting them on him, I have to be honest. I was like, ah, this is a little out of my comfort zone. And then I thought about Jesus cleansing the lepers here in Matthew 11, how he made a practice of actually touching people who no one ever touched. And so we put our hands on Naboo's foot, and we prayed for him, and we blessed him in Jesus' name. I met a lot of wonderful people on Wednesday night, including Celeste. She was preparing her bed on an old picnic table. That's where she sleeps, and she was there with about 10 homeless folks who band together. They sleep together at night in this lot because the homeless are disproportionate victims of violent attack, and when we got there, I think she could see I was all shook up and hot, and she's like, are you hot, honey? Do you want a drink? I was like, yes, thank you. She's giving me one, I'm stealing the homeless's water, okay, at this point. <laughs> and Celeste had moved to Newark from Atlantic City. I said, well, how did you end up here? She said, well, I lost my job. I was working at a bakery. I lost my job three months ago. And worse yet, she lost her ID, so she couldn't get unemployment. I said, well, how did you lose your ID? She said, well, I have epilepsy. And one time on the streets, I had a seizure, and I fell down. And while I was convulsing, I was robbed. People stole everything, my phone, my wallet, all of it, and I don't even have $24 to get my ID card. I was incredulous. Homeless people are more frequently victims of robbery and violent crime because on the street late at night, they're vulnerable. No one hears their cries except God. See, Psalm 9 says the Lord does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. And so we prayed with Celeste, and it was an eye-opening visit, to say the least, to take an urban tour sometime when you see the people who are closest to the heart of God. They're not always front and center at least where I live in the suburbs. And that's why Jesus said, I want to push you, Tim, to the margins to touch and love and care for the most vulnerable because I want to draw you to my heart. If you flip over to Matthew 19, you'll see a final encounter that Jesus has with a rich young man who asks what he needs to do to get eternal life. And it's funny because Jesus, whenever someone said, what do I have to do to be saved? Jesus didn't say, well, here's the prayer, the magic incantation you need to recite right now. Jesus actually said, well, okay, you know God's word, you've read the Bible, you obey the commandments. And the man said this, I love this exchange. He says, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, let's see this together. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And that's quite a challenge. Don't don't mishear this. Jesus isn't saying you have to buy your way into heaven. So do a lot of charitable work. That's, this isn't about charity. This is about discipleship. Discipleship means how do I follow Jesus? And Jesus says, if you want to come follow me, you have to begin detaching yourself 
from your affluence and using your influence to love those who are lost and least in line. What's tragic is the young man's response. It says, when the young man heard this, he went away sad. Why? Say it together. Because he had great wealth. Now, the problem with this passage, I'm just going to acknowledge it. I was praying about this morning. I said, Lord, just help me to understand this. And Jesus, I felt like God saying to me, the problem is, Tim, is nobody that you're talking to considers themselves to have great wealth. We all live in New Jersey. (laughs) Some of you just realized you were poor. You saw that poverty line. You're just like, holy smokes, it's me. Now I understand. Okay? Nobody identifies with the rich young man. Okay? We don't. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So could we at least allow that most of us are middle class in spirit if we're not rich? We're middle class in spirit. And that's the problem. That's the curse of the middle class like me. Because we're so comfortable. In other words, our basic needs get met that we get excited about the most insane things. It's fall. Did you know pumpkin spice is back? Praise God. This is incredible. (laughs) It's insane. Because we have our material needs met, we become blind to our spiritual bankruptcy before God. That's our true condition. That in God's eyes, you have nothing to offer to him or to redeem yourselves. We've fallen so short that Christ had to come down, enter our poverty, and die on a cross to save us. Paul says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became what? Poor, so that you and your poverty might become rich. In other words, Jesus leaves the riches of heaven. He enters into our our mess and he blesses us with salvation. It's all grace. It's all the generosity of your father. Tim Keller writes, when Christians who understand the gospel see a poor person, they realize they're looking into a mirror and our hearts go out to them without an ounce of superiority or indifference. The problem is, is if you and I are middle class in spirit, not poor in spirit, what that means is we can give lip service, but basically believe that we've earned our success in life through hard work. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I've worked, I work long hours, Tim. Uh, you know, I went to school. I got the graduate degree. I crank it out. Well, where did your intellect come from? Were you born into that family? Did you choose to be born in a 21st century America living at the height of affluence? And is that what's produced your success and material blessing? This is why Jesus said in verse 23, he said, truly I tell you, throw this up on the screen. It is hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, well, with man, this is impossible. But with God, say it together. All things are possible. See, it's not that Jesus hates the rich or the middle class. He just says it's much harder for us to get in on God's agenda (laughs) because we don't feel our need. Because most of our need is met, it makes a sense of dependency and true trust on our Father difficult. So understand, if if you're blessed are the poor, blessed are the middle class, no. Why? Because we have a spiritual handicap the poor don't have. The poor, they, are, they understand their need for God. Nabu is like, please pray for me. When a man is strung out and no money, scrounging for food, his foot is broken, he's laying prostrate in a park, he'll take anything. And that's why Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to let go of your stuff 
and sacrifice to serve those on the margins because sacrifice is the center of discipleship. It's the essence of what it means to follow me. Offering yourself and your stuff back to God and following Christ into the kingdom. In some ways, it's not about the money that you have, the material. It's about your spirit, your attitude. A lot of people like me, if you're middle class, again, or maybe you are rich, you're wealthy, you're in the top 5%, whatever. I think we honestly, if we're honest in our hearts of hearts, we look at poor people and we may not have compassion, we have pity. This isn't about pity. We see poor people saying, oh, it's too bad. They were born in poverty or they made some bad choices or maybe their laziness or their lack of self-control. They should really try to do better. And it's a superior judgmental attitude that Jesus is condemning. That's why Jesus says, you have to go and serve. That's the heart of God. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so should you. Generously, give your time. Maybe it's tutoring an inner city kid after school. Maybe it's giving your treasure. Understand something. As a church, we are financially investing in a heavy way in over one dozen projects designed to bless the poor across our state this fall. And your finances, the offerings that we give as a church, they go directly to the kingdom work we're investing. So this is about discipleship. This is about you and I taking a next step of faith and following Christ and sacrificing for those closest to the Father's heart. That's the vision behind Jesus Loves Jersey. Churches across New Jersey are going to come together this fall as one church, capital C, and make, bring the kingdom. We have learned today that the poor priority number one on Jesus' agenda, that the mark of ministry is on the margins, and that sacrifice is at the center of discipleship. So what we've done have set up some amazing projects so that you can actually live out your faith and your family can get involved this fall. And to introduce these projects, I want to introduce you to my new friend, Raul Bergos. Raul is a brother in Christ, or should I say, hermano in Cristo. He serves as senior pastor of Comunidad Cristiana in downtown Elizabeth. This is a Spanish-speaking congregation of brothers and sisters in the inner city who Liquid Church is honored to partner with in their amazing efforts to transform their city. Our partner church has an amazing story, and I've invited Raul to share it with you. My name is Raul Burgos. I'm originally from the Dominican Republic. So I came to the States in 1991. The name of our church is Comunidad Cristiana. It was founded in 1998 out of uh, another English-speaking church named Christ Fellowship, our brothers, right? All services are in Spanish. Our church serves the city and the surrounding uh, areas of, of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is an interesting place. It's uh, an urban city, one of the most dense places in the state of New Jersey. It's 65% Hispanic. It's a blue-collar town. Our church meets in the Liberty Center. It's right in the center of town in Elizabeth. It's a theater built in the 1920s. The last use of this place was four pornographic theaters and a nightclub named El Balcón, where four teenagers lost their life. And that's when this place was condemned. Our church acquired the building in partnership with another church, Christ Fellowship, our, our brothers and sisters. It was impossible to even fathom that we could uh, you know, renovate this place. It was going to be about two, three years and about $800,000. Well, it took us seven long years and more than two and a half million dollars later. This is not a wealthy church by any means. These are people that make seven, eight, nine dollars an hour 
who come to know the Lord, start being faithful. They uh, did the plumbing. We did our own plumbing, electric, sprinkler system, chairs, painted. We built the stage, the bathrooms. We, we did everything. Some of the seats on the first floor, you're probably going to see the cup holders and all. They come from a movie theater that donated them to us. We have a lot of young families at Comunidad Cristiana. The average age is probably uh, low 30s, and they have kids, and, and, and we have a lot of young people. And it's amazing because it brings a lot of energy. I was born in Colombia. Uh, I came here around six, seven years old to the United States. I started coming to Comunidad Cristiana since eighth grade, and I never left. This church family is basically the most important part of my life. Many times I hang out with them more than actually my mom and dad, so yeah. The, the biggest needs for, for the youth will be uh, feeling belongs. What they really need is, is someone to just say, I'm here and I care for you. Our church, Comunidad Cristiana, is very excited to partner with Liquid Church. It's like a suburban church with an urban church. And it's the whole body of Christ coming together and showing so many other people is the real God, is the real love, is the real joy, working together and serving our community. So we learn to love God, love each other, and serve the world. Can we hear from Raul and his congregation? One of the things I love about living in New Jersey is the diversity. We're one of the most ethnically diverse states in the nation. In fact, New Jersey, did you know this? We have actually the largest number of foreign-born residents in the entire country. And part of the vision of Jesus Loves Jersey is to reach across barriers and connect the body of Christ so that we have suburban churches partnering with the inner city, whites and Asians partnering with blacks and Latinos to show what the church is for rather than just what we're against. So in Elizabeth, we're going to work with Pastor Raul and his young congregation to serve in some of the inner city schools in his community. Um, as you've heard, they have done an incredible job renovating a community center, the Liberty Theater in, in downtown uh, Elizabeth. It was formerly four uh, pornographic theaters, as you heard, a nightclub where kids were killed. And uh, this blue-collar you know, congregation, they pooled their resources, and Pastor Raul said to me, the problem is, Tim, he goes, they've given all they had four times. <laughs> This is not a rich per church. Immigrant workers earn $7, $8 an hour. And what he wants to do is he wants to serve the youth. He's like, Tim, he took me outside and said, look at the high school right here. After school, 2,000 kids pour out right here in front of our church. And we want to serve them. And so we're going to partner. We're going to give them a whole host of volunteers. All the credit will go to Comunidad Cristiana. And all the projects are going to take place October 12th through the 19th. This is important, okay? Some of these involve multiple churches who we're partnering with, some with ministries, in Morristown or New Brunswick or Nutley, or, or, or where you'll hear about all, all of them in a minute. Feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless, serving battered women, people with HIV. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a link in an email this afternoon if you're interested, if you respond at the end of today's service in just a few minutes. Now, because Liquid is a multi-site church, we have multiple projects geared to each campus. So let me spotlight one for each. Here in Morristown, we're going to be partnering with Neighborhood House on Flagler Street. But yeah, give me a hand for Neighborhood House. This is interesting because this started as a settlement house in 1898 to help Italian immigrants get acclimated to the New Jersey culture. And now they're serving a whole new wave of immigrant families through preschool and aftercare programs as well as job training for adults. So we need a couple hundred volunteers to descend on Neighborhood House and give the entire facility an extreme makeover. We're going to remodel their preschool rooms, make them sparkle. If you recall, we did this previously with Eric Johnson House, that shelter in town for those who are HIV positive. 
the shelter at Eric Johnson. Remember the, uh, the old bedrooms? Throw, show a picture of this. That's what it looked like before, but after, voila, sanded floors, new furniture, because people are made in the image of God and they deserve dignity. Here's the community kitchen before and the restored dining room after Liquid Church volunteers moved in. We believe people who are struggling financially or socially, they shouldn't have to struggle for dignity, okay? So we want to give them a nice home to get back on their feet. We're going to serve meals at Eric Johnson House, and we're going to do a similar makeover at Neighborhood House in Morristown, so you can sign up to serve. In New Brunswick, we're going to partner with Youth Empowerment Services, or yes, it's started by two pastors of a small church in New Brunswick, Barry Smith and Jeff Hayes, who saw at-risk youth, teens and tweens, kind of struggling in their journey to adulthood. And they left their job as pastors to co-found Yes, and four years later, one of the, uh, Jeff actually passed away, but their vision continues. And so we're going to come alongside Youth Empowerment Services and basically give their entire facility kind of a, a makeover to upgrade their after-school programs, mentoring, and camps. Some of these kids have like never been out of the city. They've never been a great adventure. They've never been, you know, to the country. And you have to understand something important about our, our vision here. Our goal is not to start a separate 501c3 or a food pantry to help struggling families or at-risk youth. Our heart as a church is to come alongside organizations that are already doing it and killing it. And we're going to support their work and lift their hands in Jesus' name. We're going to pour thousands of dollars into these community outreaches because the poor are priority number one on Jesus' agenda. And as his church, we've got to step up and follow his lead into our cities. Now, it's not all makeovers and renovations, because some of you are like, I'm not handy, I don't We have a super fun outreach in Nutley. Nutley is God's favorite campus. Did you know that? I'm sorry. Oh, Pastor Peter paid me to say that. I, I have to. But seriously, I love this one. Nutley Family Services Bureau has been serving families in crisis in Essex County over 100 years, since the Great Depression, two world wars, our most recent recession. Basically, they help families who are struggling, whether it's with a job loss or to care for aging parents or drug or alcohol abuse, and what we're going to do is to help them celebrate. We are going to host every past, present, or future client to a steakhouse dinner with all the trimmings. Franklin Steakhouse is donating their restaurant and all the food to give these families a night out while we volunteer labor and wait on Can we hear it for Franklin Steakhouse? That's amazing. We are honored to partner with you. So if you've ever wanted to be a waiter or a waitress, this is for you, okay? You just got to wear an apron. Smile and pour drinks. You know, Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me what? Something to eat. I was thirsty, give me something to drink. This is your chance to do that literally. If you want to take the relief bus to Newark or Patterson, we're going to be running that out of Nutley as well. well. Again, I'll send you a link this afternoon so you can look at all the projects and see what works with your calendar. But let me spotlight our, our one more project at our newest campus in Mountainside. Um, as you know, we're launching on October 6th, uh, just a couple weeks away, and there has been a huge flurry of interest. Um, this past week, I was talking with Pastor Mike, and he said to him, it was crazy. He was at the church, and a couple of cars just pulled up, and he said, can I help you? He said, we just heard something was going on here. <laughs> we're from town. What, what is this about? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, well, this is a, a church that's launching, and he said, can we see it? And they came inside, so we expect we're going to get run over on October 6th. And there's a couple of opportunities here. I'm excited to let you know that we are launching on October 6th with four services, 9 and 11 a.m., 4 and 6 p.m., so evening services are back. Can we hear it? That's pretty exciting. For those of you who are night owls, we want to encourage you to come because we expect those two morning services to fill very quickly, probably with local people from Union County. 
But we also want to make some options for families who have Sunday sports conflicts. I understand, I understand that, like the fall starting, you got soccer, you got football in the morning, whatever it is. Now you don't actually have to skip church, okay? Just come to the 4 or 6 p.m. service at Mountainside. Or if you work on late Saturdays or, you know, Sunday mornings, this is a great option for you. But what it means is we need more volunteers to serve at Mountainside, particularly liquid kids, Okay. We're talking about this week, and I, for one, I actually raised my hand to serve. I actually signed up to serve in the nursery at the 4 o'clock service, all right? So this is like all hands on deck. Our family attends Morristown in the morning, but I'm going to go over to Mountainside at night because Colin and I are like, you know what? We're all in. We want to be part of the movement God's doing in serving new families in Union County. So all our campuses, I want to challenge you. Would you consider doing the same thing for a limited time? Even if it's just a couple of Sundays in October or November, would you volunteer and say, you know, I, I could serve at the 4 o'clock service over at Mountainside. I want to see it anyway. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment, I think, for our entire church family. One of the reasons we think we're going to get run over at Mountainside, honestly, is because of something you did in January. If you remember in January, we hosted a winter carnival for children and families with special needs at Children's Special Ed Hospital. Kids who have autism, Asperger's, ADHD, a variety of special needs. We want to give them a stress-free day tailored to their, their kids and just loved on those families. As you can see from this video, we hosted it right on Route 22. We had a blast. New Jersey has the highest rate of autism in the nation. And as a church, we see this as one of the opportunities God's giving us to serve those who are typically last in line or overlooked. Kids with special needs rarely get to enjoy just a day out in public, you know, with their family without worrying about other, other stimuli. So we have trained our volunteers on October 19th. We are going to host a fall festival for these families at our brand new campus in Mountainside. We're going to have a live petting zoo for the kids as well as Pastor Mike. I think he's excited about this. Because <laughs> animals are actually part of kind of the therapy, very kinetic, and so we need volunteers to help Love on our kids and our new neighbors. So this is going to be big, guys. It's a big deal. You understand this? And we have a number of churches in New Jersey coming together for this movement. We want the mark of our ministry to be on the margins just as it was for Jesus because that's in dead center of God's will. And this is part of you living your faith and serving essential to being a follower of Christ. So let me close right now by challenging you to get out of your seats and into the streets to serve our neighbors in Jesus' name. In your program today, we put a special response card. Can you pull that out? All our campuses, pull that out and wave it when you have it. Just wave it in the air like a bird. Oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead, do it. Yeah, there, you don't have to make the noise. <laughs> I appreciate that. As I said, take a look on here. All we're asking today is for you to click your pen and just tell us your name and let me have your email and I will email you today a link to a list of all these projects. I haven't even, I've only touched about a quarter of them. There's a, there's a ton more. And then you can look at your calendar at home and decide, hey, what fits in our schedule? What can we do together as a family? Check the box. Say, yeah, I want to, you know, love New Jersey by serving the poor in my city, October 12th through the 19th. Send me info. I'll send you that link. You take your time and look at it. Or if you are a superhero and are like, you know what? I want to see Pastor Tim change a diaper. I want to see that. (laughs) You volunteer at Liquid Mountainside this fall, man. I would love to uh, change diapers with you or even change your diaper. However it works, I would love you to join me. Check either or both boxes, and I'll send you that link this afternoon. Parents, I want to encourage you. I hope you sign up that your family will serve together. This is one of those ways we're trying to raise up the next generation, your kids to have a heart for for the poor. So get that. you got to get them out of their suburban cocoon and really into contact with the needs of our world. If you're in a life group, 
Look at these lists and serve together as a group. Pick a project, serve together this fall. When the rich young man said, hey, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? How do I experience a life with meaning and value in God's eyes? Jesus said, very, very simple. Engage with the needs of the most vulnerable, those on the margins, the homeless, the handicapped, the elderly, the economically struggling, because they're priority number one on God's kingdom agenda. Do they have that spot on your agenda this fall? On your calendar? I am laying out this challenge to our entire church, and so are pastors across our state. This October, we're going to take Jesus at his word, and as the church, capital C, rises and stands together to lift up the name of our Savior. Amen? Let's pray right now and commit these causes and projects to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Portland. The work you've done there inspires us, God. But do something new in our midst, God. This is New Jersey. Father, we've seen what happened uh, even this week down in Seaside. There are people who are struggling, who are without hope, who feel beaten down. And this is the chance for our church to stand up. God, would you just mobilize an army, Father? Not out of guilt, but grace. Lord, just joy in what you've done for us in sending Jesus Christ. Would we live out our faith in such a way that people would be drawn to him? We commit all these projects to his name and his glory. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.